Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morgan, and we are continuing my exploration into the question, why horror? And today I am joined by Warren, who is both a director and just general horror fan. So before we jump into trying to pick apart that big existential question that horror fans always have and um, can you just kind of introduce yourself and your own kind of connection to horror yeah. uh hi i'm warren <laughs> warren Medensky. um i'm a, a new sort of film director i've got one feature up on netflix uh, called simon it's also on like prime and video in various other places mm-hmm. and um yeah like trying to like break into the industry and i love horror always seem to have and you know, a lot of people like say if they get pigeonholed into one genre, like, they get upset. But if I got pigeonholed into horror, like I'd be happy. <laughs> well, happy exactly. But also, if there's any genre to be pigeonholed into, horror is probably the most expansive genre because it's you know it is a genre that's hard to pin down. You know, like as in if you're pigeonholed into rom com directing that's pretty much what it says on the tin there's not there's not much variety whereas with horror like you know you can go from slashers to sci-fi to folk to quote unquote elevated but you can do whatever you wish um so i want to like this i'm kicking this series off with the this question each time because i think it's always something every horror fan has that film but for you um what was the first film that you were horror film that you remember watching and then also kind of slightly related because sometimes this can be a different film Mm. what was the horror film that you remember watching that kind of made you realize oh yeah no horror is my jam (laughs) yeah um the first one i remember there might be a controversial choice but it's one or two i can't remember which one came first i'd either put Ghostbusters or Jurassic Park? Oh, well, I am 100% believe that they could both fall under the horror genre, 100%. I I stand by it. Both of those films are designed to be scary. I know Ghostbusters gets put as a comedy a lot, and it is funny, Mm -hmm. but that librarian ghost and, like, Goza, they're nightmare fuel, man. And the T-Rex, like, um, attacking things. But, like, Jurassic Park was definitely the first one I saw in a cinema. Mm. I was like five years old and I remember it perfectly, like being in that cinema and uh, being terrified of that T-Rex coming out in the rainstorm. But um, actually, like, when I was that young, like, I didn't understand that, well, I didn't understand genres. Mm. So they were just like, they were kind of scary, but you know, it's Spielberg, so it's a family film. <laughs> and the film that made me realize or what I kind of worked out was horror and got me really interested in mm-hmm. the genre is probably Jason X. 
Oh, I I adore that film. Yes, I believe that is a criminally underrated film. I it gets panned, and I always like you know a part of me cries because I just think that is a criminally underrated film. Like, yes, it's completely bonkers, and you know you, you know it doesn't hold a a flame up to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. But it is a underrated slasher. <laughs> Absolutely, it's so much fun and. What really helped with me is that I came from a, a more of a sci-fi background at mm-hmm. first, and my family were really into that. But what made Jason especially really interesting is um, I remember these conversations. My mum like refuses to remember them, <laughs> but I was never allowed to watch the films and things when I was young. Mm-hmm. But the names were in the zeitgeist, so I would ask my mum who these people were, and she explained who Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. was. You know, it's the little boy that drowned and his mum came and got revenge on the counsellors. And then somehow he comes back. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That somehow is doing a lot of work. (laughs) And so he was like a folklore figure. I actually thought he was real for a long time. And so when I finally saw this movie, Jason, it's like like this Jason Voorhees thing my mum's on about. And then she explained to me what Friday the 13th was. and. Mm. I weirdly watched, like, I became obsessed with Jason. I ended up watching the movies in reverse order somehow. Like, I think it's just the easiest way to find them. Mm. And then, like, the last one I watched was the original. And I remember when Pamela Voorhees, because me and a friend watched it, got convinced his mum to rent it. And we had no idea it was a murder mystery, like a whodunit. Mm-hmm. So we weren't expecting it. And then, obviously, Pamela doesn't show up to the very end. And we got chills when she showed up. It was like... Uh, it was like finding like a tomb of someone famous or, you know, like someone famous walking by like, oh my God, it's a legend. Have you finally mm-hmm. seen them? She oh. doesn't appear in anything else. I guess she kind of is in Jason X. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. No, but she, um... Or is it just Freddy versus Jason she shows up in? No, it is Jason. Yeah, Jason X. She turns up as a hologram as well, doesn't she? After the camp. Yes. Camp, the campers. But um, but yes, no, but also like Pamela Voorhees talk about it like an iconic like horror villain that kind of gets like forgotten about so much in the shadow mm. of Jason because obviously as the films go on, Jason becomes Jason, and it's kind yeah. of everyone forgets that you know Pamela was the one that launched that franchise really. Um, but I think that's always something that is always so um interesting about like the slasher genre because so much of them start off as that kind of who done it you don't actually know who the killer is and then as the as it becomes a franchise and it goes up you actually start following the person that's doing the killing it's always like one of the interesting elements of that slashers i find especially the ones from the 80s but um but yeah actually i like that you mentioned that your first kind of gateway was like ghostbusters and jurassic park because like i think they're like um i i'd consider them like very good classic gateway horror films and it's like mm. that, that's almost like a really nice way in like yes they're scary but they're you know also quite palatable as well it's like a nice yeah. comfortable way in whereas like you know I talk to some horror fans and it's like oh what was your entry into horror oh yeah I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was eight and I'm just like and are you permanently damaged oh yes definitely <laughs> like you know everyone yeah. has a different way in like I want to I also like actually just before we go into any other additional questions that I had and, comp- and compiled, but I like that you said that you kind of had those 
conversations with your mom and stuff like that so like was your family much of like a kind of genre family that you kind of did those movies together particularly maybe as you got older and stuff like that um sort of like especially when it's like we were all kind of into cypher so like we would watch star trek the next mm-hmm. generation was like on tv doctor who and things together um my mom was always very open with stuff she always found um it's better to talk and explain something. Because, um, this is going to jump out of it. But basically, when I was young, I got scared of a film once. And then she found uh, an epi- a episode of Winnie the Pooh, which she always like puts down as being one of the gateways into my horror. F- <laughs> where Piglet goes to the cinema and gets scared. And mm. they do a song that it's not real. And right. then like that clicked into my head. And I was like, oh, wow. like It's all make-believe. And it oh. also lucked out that for some reason we watched Blade Runner when I was five. <laughs> that's that's a heavy film for a five year old. Yeah, and I loved it as a five year old. And I watched <laughs> it back now. It's like it's very slow, character driven. <laughs> and like I do not understand at five how I got through this. But I also love Star Wars, so mm. she could make those connections because Harrison Ford's in both. Yeah, and Indiana Jones. We had Temple of Doom. Again, she managed to like put all three together and be like, see, it's the same guy in each of these. And right, okay. It all became more, like, and it was always, like, I never thought they were real. So, but we always, um, uh, she'd always watch things first, like, because um, mm-hmm. we're in the UK, we got, you know, PG, 12, 15, 18. She was always adamant that I could never watch 18s till I was older. Um, mm-hmm. But back then, you used to record a lot of things off the TV. Right, yes. So a couple of things will slip through the cracks. <laughs> or Starship Troopers slipped through the cracks. She watched 10 minutes of it. I was like, this is boring. He'll never care for this. And I was like, the movie's amazing. She's like, I missed something. <laughs> if you think it's amazing at this age, I definitely missed something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we always had conversations. So if I came up with a name, like Hannibal Lecter was another person who I thought was real because I was mm. like, I've heard this name. She's like, yeah, he was this psychiatrist who went crazy and for lack of better terms like at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was a cannibal. So what's a cannibal? As a person <laughs> who eats people. So that seems bad. So that's very bad. <laughs> no, brilliant. I love that. I love um and it seems to be something that is quite an overlap with so many different horror fans is that someone has that connection in their family like it's the one genre that's like passed down by generation to generation whether it's like a parent is kind of your kind of guiding hand into the genre or it's older sibling or something but I love how Mm. compared to any other genre it like you know horror and sci-fi because I'd link the two of them together they're like those two type of genres that like you are brought into it by family like it's not something you stumble upon really it's usually something that you have a connection to in a way and I love how everyone I talk to has some similar type of stories like that but I want to know for yourself because especially as someone who's made um, a first feature film like uh, I want to know what were your kind of like because I think every horror fan it's different Um, but for yourself like would you have like a kind of like personal criteria as to like you know, do you have clear delineations as this is horror, this isn't horror, or is it very kind of fluid and flux for you? It's it's definitely very fluid. Like when I was a teenager, it was very rigid. 
mm. like a big slasher fan so it has to be gory and like <laughs> this and that and then you start experiencing more stuff and you're like oh none of this fits anymore I mean so it, for me it seems to be I don't know like a vibe or like mm. something like I I find it um really hard to describe and go from like a film to film basis almost because mm-hmm. anything I could I think of is like right it's got to have supernatural it's like well that's the saw franchise out and that's very clearly <laughs> horror <laughs> okay so it can be a police procedural it's like, well that's also like what csi is and that's definitely not horror <laughs> and then you know so for me it goes it's like a vibe that the film gives off it's the best i think i can go with it like you know because some things i feel are and some things aren't and there's like if you put them on paper there's no distinction like i feel oh good example might be that i don't feel seven's quite a horror movie for me mm. I, I feel that fits just nicely into that sort of thriller crime category mm-hmm. while so like any number of the source sequels could be seen as being very similar when they get into the procedural side of things mm-hmm. i know what you um, mean yeah it's almost said, like seven is kind of like the after effect of Saw, in a mm. like you know what happens after, because basically yes, the you know the kill like the, the you know the murders that you mm. are discovered are all like gruesome and grotesque, but you don't actually see it happening. Whereas Saw mm. is giving you the actual visceral deaths of mm. these people, like that's kind of like the one kind of delineation, maybe. Yeah, but, but, but yeah. then you find other films that follow that pattern as well, where you don't see it for even most of it and some of those are still like yeah they're still horror films (laughs) yeah definitely particularly those type of like uh almost in a way almost creature features as in there's something that Mm. someone is afraid of but you don't see what they're afraid of until the Mm. very end of the film or even not at all but it's still because of tension or mood or anything it still falls under horror but yeah i think like uh, that, that is interesting you say when you were like you know younger as a teenager it was quite rigid because I think that is like the horror fans journey in a way as mm. in like you start off and you're kind of like no this 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 you know has to be this otherwise it's not a <laughs> quote unquote yeah, a good horror, horror. <laughs> um, uh, I remember being one of those who would be like Silence of the Lambs is not a horror film <laughs> Yeah, like Hollywood, stay away from my horror films. <laughs> and then at one point, you're like, no, no, Sansa Lambs is like, I, I'll sit there and defend it being a horror film these days. And I think I wouldn't behoove anyone who thinks a thriller is a horror to them, because that could be mm-hmm. a gateway for Definitely. more horror, and that's better. Exactly, one hundred percent. More, more horror, the better in my eyes. Give it, give more mm. of it to me. But yeah, I think Seven is one that kind of like walks that line, as in. Mm. It really is person to person. Some people go yeah. seven, definitely a horror. Other people go, you know what? I'm not sure if it's a horror, but I just love how difficult it is for certain horror films, certain genres to be pinned down. It's one of the most mm. fascinating things about horror. It is unpinned downable. Mm. <laughs> but kind of spinning off that, um, I want to know about this one because this is like one of those ones where, like, I don't know if it's this. Be- specifically just an online phenomena or if it's something that actually bleeds into real world horror you know watching but you often see particularly in like you know you know twitter and places like that something like 
this X film didn't scare me, therefore it's not a good horror movie. And I want to know what you think, particularly again as someone who has had their hand in making a film. Do you think a horror movie needs to be scary to be considered an effective horror movie? Uh, I don't. Actually, I thought this is one I was thinking of long and hard because I've <laughs> had conversations like this for years. Mm-hmm. And me and my friends all kind of agree that we don't feel it needs to be scary. Like There can be things that can scare you and things, but everything is so personal to each person and what makes you scared. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, the scariest movie I've ever watched is the American version of The Grudge. Uh, you know, the, the... Yeah, oh yes um <laughs> i I like that you mentioned that because this is one and then i'll, I'll come back to that your point but um but <laughs> the american remake of the grudge like this is like something i tell all the time because that is a film that has permanently scarred me my story is that i was i think maybe 11 or 12 that would have been roughly when it was out in the cinemas here in ireland mm. um but i was going to the cinema with my dad and my dad has been like my gateway into horror he's been the one that i've experienced horror through but uh we were going to the cinema and it was the intent was to see alien versus predator because that was due out my dad got the dates mixed up it wasn't out yet (laughs) sees the poster and goes oh that's your one from buffy this movie should be fine no prior research into what this film was or what it was based on or anything we go into this into the film and i think i spent about 85 percent of that movie cowering on the floor between the seat and the seats in front of me and like just not watching and my dad just kept touching me going you you do know we can leave and I was just like I guess just I've been so affected by late stage capitalism that I was just like no you've spent money we can't leave so I've been so permanently scarred that now uh like almost 30 so 15 years more later if my wardrobe is open, I can't sleep. I have to get up and close it because of that one scene from the film. But yes, I want you to now go back to explaining why yeah. that one is the one that scared you. Oh, it's just something about that curse and how it's like inevitable and the sound she makes. Mm. I, and it freaked me out and I jumped. I don't really jump at much. And it was the first film my other half saw me jump at and she couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then... um. And it stayed with me. Like, I would think about the movie and just get goosebumps. And I think I'd see, like, reflections of, you know, the bus scene where she sees the reflection in the, mirror, mm-hmm. in the window. Like, I swear I saw that. But I had a cleansing as well. Not like a, an actual spiritual cleansing, yeah. but something that actually, like, cleansed. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it felt like something attached itself to my soul mm. after watching that movie. <laughs> and I lucked out on, like, getting over it by going to Camden a few years later. So I probably was about 16 when I saw The Grudge. Mm-hmm. And by the time, uh, it was definitely by the time the third one came out, because that's really relevant to the story, <laughs> is um, I was in Camden and there was an art stand. Like lots of this, um, Japanese artists, like all these paintings that they'd mm-hmm. done. And there was a Blu-ray of The Grudge 3 just on the stand. I was like, that's really weird. <laughs> And I was also like, oh, I didn't know that was out yet. Like, I definitely got to pick that up. And then there was a little sign next to it. And it was just, it was reading it as like, um, Aiko Huyachi. I've butchered that name and I apologize. <laughs> um, like, artist, like, artist bio. And then at the end, stars and Grudge 3 is Yoko. Mm. 
like, oh, the lady who like made this is uh, in the Grudge too. She took over from the original ghost actress. And then this little woman pops up and says, like, hello, that's me. <laughs> and uh, and I actually like, asked her if she wanted to be in a music video. And then we shot a music video. But like meeting her and hanging out with her just like made that like dark patch disappear. Mm, it- it's like it's not even the same actress and but i know the films aren't the, real it had that effect like, yeah <laughs> that's brilliant so i think the key to that for going forward for all horror fans is meet the actor that plays yeah. the monster therefore any scare you had potential nightmares will be washed away okay note to self future horror fans that's that's the approach yeah. to take <laughs> me and actors is how i got to watch a lot of the classic horror films as well mm. so, um my first job out of school when i was a teenager was a shop that sold autographs well cool but they did um celebrity signings as well so the guy who owned the place um would get celebs in and like supply the cons that are around Mm. and a couple of the others and they do one signing at the store as well so i got to meet like people from stargate and a lot of the bond girls right but like gunnar hansen came oh cool hansen (laughs) texas chainsaw massacre i best go watch that so i know the movie (laughs) he's in doug bradley came that's how i got introduced to hellraiser Oh wow! And then yeah. spent like a twenty-year journey finally, like getting into Clive Barker. Mm. Yeah, so I watched the films based on his stuff, and I was like, I love these movies. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, I actually started reading the books, and I was like, Why did I not start this? Sooner? <laughs> this stuff is amazing. Yeah, one of the horniest writers out there for sure. <laughs> That's mm. definitely Clive Barker. But yeah, no, I love his stuff and the films based on his work as well and I'm very excited for the upcoming Hellraiser series with the amazing Jamie Clayton as the new pinhead I'm oh I'm very excited it's going to be very queer very yes (laughs) I was sad at first because when it like went down I was like I'm not going to say anything and I'm going to do the remake (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna get this and we're gonna do it like the book and then I hear this is happening and it's like oh Clive's involved and then I see who's cast as Pinhead and it's like this is just genius mm-hmm. like, I need to see this I was really scared when Hulu went quiet on it yeah I know and what then, you mean uh, and then they finally like rated it it's like oh thank god it's not like cancelled quietly <laughs> yes oh that would have been the worst like especially like anytime especially in this now are days of streamers and stuff mm. like that and actually that's probably something that you probably even have an insight in as someone who's made a film but it must just to me as an outsider who like you know watches films like I'm not on the behind the camera side of things yet but um seeing just like uh you know I think as viewers we don't really appreciate how hard it is to get a film or a show from something that's just been put onto a page to actually on screens in front of people whether that's in homes Mm. or in cinemas so like just the simple fact it so many things never make it past production you know never make it to you know being a created product so I want to know what your kind of just insight or thoughts on that are especially now even I saw today like the latest news after the Warner Brothers Discovery debacle of, oh, we've just deleted lots of yeah. finished films that are now never going to see the light of day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's horrifying. It's like back in the day, you know, they used to just leave stuff and it disappear, but it's something you could take and that's how they've managed to restore a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. 
and it's quite scary that's like oh the bat woman stuff or bat girl i've forgotten what uh, it is it was bat girl yes bat girl. it is bat girl yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, yeah and how it's like someone can just go control a and like control delete or whatever and it's like it's gone like they've wiped it like, they couldn't take it and unless somebody who did the wiping was like maybe i should download this and stick it on the black market that's, that's what i'm just hoping happens like at some yeah. stage in the future like there's like also like a cynical part of me that like thinks oh this is all a publicity stunt to try and garner up publicity but then since they announced that it was specifically for a tax write-off well that's kind of not the case like they can never release it because you can't it would be illegal for them to do so <laughs> yeah like oh i just it's kind of for me it's kind of scary that everything's going digital like that because it's going back to that old thing where you could have a movie and see it and then it completely disappears mm-hmm. yeah i'm trying to fight for any of my movies to go for physical oh i love the small ones they um so like my first film uh they just basically the deal we got was sort of like the first one that came along and they were like you guys won't get physical. It's like, it's easy as that. Like the money's in the digital. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't have any like standing power. And it was like a movie that we had no idea what we were doing. Mm. And like, it's a miracle actually came out. And uh, like, the biggest miracle was getting the sound. Cause we had, there's like a couple of scenes. We had a microphone at the other end of the room and somehow the sound mixer has made it seem like we actually knew what we were doing with it. <laughs> I was just uh, on a just slight tangent to kind of discuss um, Simon before we go back into Mm. more broader questions. Um, Because I'm just on that, what you said there, I'm wondering, is that like part, are those scenes that you're referencing where Simon is talking to like himself, like in the mirror, or is it different scenes? Because like, if whether that was intentional or not, I love how as the movie went, his other alter ego I guess I don't know but like his other self got louder and more clear as I guess the, mm. the split identities merged into one is that is my reading of that correct or <laughs> yeah more or less I remember we did some sound work on him and it was becoming more like it's like oh the voice should be like more separate mm. or the other side should be more separate and then like as he gives in and sort of takes on um Sarah I'm terrible at my own character names. <laughs> yeah, they, they they sort of like become more one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the yeah, the sound we just basically like really messed up was when she sees the psychiatrist and goes mm-hmm. and their conversation together. Like literally, the microphone is the other end of the room. Right. <laughs> somehow they pulled that out. <laughs> I have no idea how. But I have but... no idea how none of us just thought maybe we should move the mic closer. <laughs> I guess that just shows, you know, like at first, you know, first feature filmmaking is so much of it is a learning experience. Like, you know, as you get on, like, you know, when you look at any filmography, you know, even like, you know, the highest, you know, accolade directors of our day, if you look at probably their first or two features, it's not what they're doing now Mm. at their, you know, 30 year careers and stuff like that. Like, it just shows growth as people learn more and discover more mm. and in fact that's something else that brings us back to physical releases mm-hmm. i actually like saved a bunch of things in my movies because of um the audio commentaries on other films yeah because uh you get a good director's one and they give up secrets and things um 
and there was a couple of things where and I, I was listening to a Resident Evil one and they talked about doing digital movement with the camera mm. zoom the footage in slightly and they could do a little pan or something and I said oh I can fix a scene that's really dull by like doing that on one of these shots right and, or like um, oh there was another one that was I buy a lot of films that sort of act my level of filmmaking, which is very cheap films. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've got an audio commentary on, I pick them up because they always have tips and tricks. So I had like a Zoom that um, was super unsteady and they talked about which plugin it was that they steadied theirs. <laughs> right. That's so That's uh, so cool to know. And it's a good tip for any other budding filmmakers out there, mm. you know, seek out those audio commentaries if you can, because you might learn something new. It's such a, mm. but yeah, um, I definitely like, you know, hope that uh physical media is something that doesn't go away and i don't think it will i think there's enough people who are like preservationists and completionists who like are you know fighting to get physical releases and stuff like that and it's great to know that you know specifically within the horror genre you know, companies like Shudder and Arrow are, you know, very much like, you know, where we want to do physical releases and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's great to see that there are some people who are, you know, determined to bring those out. Um, mm. And if there's any genre, there are going to be people who are fighting for physical. It is horror fans, like I think, more so than any other genre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I bought The Evil Dead four times. <laughs> As each new edition comes out, like as in yeah. upgraded technology. So like, I bought the first DVDs and then there was like a special edition ones that had extra bits. And then there was like a, uh, like a box set version. Cause I've started running out of space. So box sets became very exciting. Mm. Then they did a Blu-ray box set. <laughs> even smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the, the thing I bought like two or three times, cause they had, um, they had the regular release and then like Arrow did one with a bunch of extra bits. Mm-hmm. I think horror fans as well. We love knowing how this stuff all works. 100%. Definitely. Like, I think it's why, you know, horror fans, uh, like it's one of the, like, there's so many horror podcasts out there because like yeah. horror fans love to talk about horror and discuss yeah. it and figure out how things are made and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's just one thing about horror fans that are fantastic but I think spinning off maybe from making horror and also what horror fans like to see I kind of like for me as like a fan of the genre like as I'm watching it at the moment in you know 2022 it feels to me like horror is like the only genre that seems to be booking the trend of like this mass kind of like sanitization and almost desexualization mm. in so much of our media and like horror seems to be the one genre that's like you know not going that route and I want to know like what you think about it as a horror fan and both someone who's like made a film as well do you feel it's like a deliberate thing that horror is like very deliberately going no we're refusing to kind of go that route or is it just coincidental that because horror has always been the you know, the naughty child of film that it's always going to be doing something different to what mainstream is. Um, I think it's a a bit of everything because mm-hmm. I was thinking the opposite for a while. I was like, God, like since sort of the conjuring hit, everything's gone really like bloodless and really sort of just um, a little conservative on things. But that's just the 
big yeah the big ones. mainstream ones you know yeah. and then when i started thinking that like malignant shows up and that's gory as hell and like and so is much fun and, and i think it swings around because our x has come out mm-hmm. and that's like full of sex and violence you know that is like going back to old school ways and in a new fun way of doing it and i think we just go so round so i think there's a bit of being the naughty child where a lot of us a lot of us like want to play as a filmmaker like horror really want lets you want to play like mm-hmm. um, and especially like well from how it happened in my film was um i used to do comedy shorts when i was first learning to do stuff mm-hmm. there's like if people laugh at it because it's bad then it doesn't matter i know what you mean yeah <laughs> and i did a short film assignment which was my first like okay this is a serious script like, mm-hmm. what are things they're gonna let me know that's serious and i was like i have a bit of blood the violence and i was like i'll put some nudity in because if someone says yes to this then it must be good i know <laughs> like if everybody turns me down because there was no money in the short because it's a short mm-hmm. <laughs> then i know that this is terrible and i need to work on it and improve it and make sure everything like works um, mm-hmm. properly because i also didn't because then there's so many ways you can play with things like that as well so for my film i thought it was a um a bit of like um vulnerability it's like almost like clothing is armor then the armor's gone like how much more vulnerable can you be than being in the bath yeah no 100 percent. and like yeah that scene itself i remember like it's you know kind of like reminiscent of you know again to go very cliche classic but you know like hitchcock psycho shower scene like again it's that type of you're most vulnerable in the bathroom no clothing Mm. and that's when the killer comes to get you like that is a very horrifying situation i think it's a lot of people's like worst nightmare type thing like of like Mm. one thing i don't want someone to just walk in and see me naked but also to then want to kill me like that's you know even worse (laughs) but um i want to know as well like um as someone who has their hand in making films and you know as a horror fan because this is one that i think is a very divisive area and i personally am always flip-flopping on what i think but what do you think about when it comes to censorship like do you think there's like lines that you know you can't cross because of like either moralistic or ethical reasons or do you think you know art should just be allowed to be art and speak for itself like what 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 do you think about that because i'm always (laughs) flip-flopping yeah like i don't really agree with censorship very much like as long as people aren't sort of like being hurt exploited against their things like you know you're not you're not taking someone captive hanging them and like (laughs) you're not making an actual snuff movie yeah (laughs) but like anything that's in a film aimed at adults i don't think there should be anything that's kind of like the stuff that i wouldn't do like sexual assault makes me very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't force a movie to like not try and tackle it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I I get like I I agree that rating I like a rating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um I like how ours works mostly <laughs> until you get to like a bunch of eighteens that are still censored and you're like, but why? Mm. Adults I should be able to make decisions for themselves and what they want to watch and you know, so I don't feel like like if I was in charge of like censoring stuff, there probably wouldn't be much that I'd ever censor until something showed up and made me eat those words. But <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a way to do things. But I think for art 
yeah, that there's, I don't really agree with censorship per se. I agree with like maybe not letting little ones see certain things till, mm -hmm. you know, they're ready and like conversations can happen. Yeah. But I also agree that a lot of things that are being considered censorship, like on Twitter and things at the moment, aren't necessarily censorship. Right. Like, well, for example, like Andrew Tate getting taken off. Yes. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's actually doing stuff that's damaging. Like, yeah, he's not being censored. He's yeah. being platformed on something that is really different and dangerous in our society. Exactly. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, um, and also as well, like you think, you know, just slight tangent, because this is going very different to, like, you know, a different <laughs> askew from where horror is. But no, I love these type yeah. of conversations. Like, you know, my podcast is Fishnets and Philosophy. So everything is explorable. But um, it's like the difference between, you know, cancel culture in quotation marks and consequence mm. culture. So much of what's happening, Andrew Tate is an example or she who shall not be named jk rowling all these different things it's all examples of people who are now facing consequences for things that they should be facing you know they've said something shitty Ooh. and people are calling them out on it or they've done something damn you know stuff like that that's all that's happening yeah whereas it's people are saying oh they're being cancelled even though really they've been deplatformed and now they have 10 talk shows you know, it's all mm. these things happen like they're still in the zeitgeist they're still being yeah. talked about you know yeah. how is that cancelled i don't know but anyway that could be a whole other two-hour rant about yeah. society <laughs> but yes i know what you mean like i think that is kind of where my kind of wiggle room like stance mostly is but then sometimes i veer either direction but it is very mm. much like you know art as a thing itself shouldn't be censored mm. and you kind of like let adults decide what they want to consume once mm. no one's being hurt like um that's where I kind of like would tend to mostly find my footing but then like you know you have certain genres like extreme horror and extreme cinema mm. which is like deliberately causing a visceral reaction and stuff like that and then you kind of go into well is that art or is that just exploitation and that's a very different you know nuanced discussion mm. but yeah i think at the end of the day censorship is bad because if you start going down the route of censoring some things you end up with what's happening in a lot of places in america where books are being banned and you can't say the <laughs> word gay in certain states you know that's censorship <laughs> yeah because you're just removing like things that it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense exactly <laughs> like, 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 why can't you say gay gay people exist like, <laughs> people who are gay you know like they're there like my neighbor you know yeah gay. oh i know they don't do anything like we wouldn't have you know hellraiser <laughs> exactly one of the I, I just love how like hellraiser is one of the like queerest horror genre like horror franchises out there it's just embedded mm. into it because it's Clive Barker like, you know it's like literally he he <laughs> wrote Hell's Way Hellraiser was inspired by his experience in gay leather bars mm. and one of my favorite things is when you get like really kind of like strictly conservative kind of like on the right horror fans who are just kind of like you know kicking up a fuss about the casting of a trans actress to play a pinhead yeah. in the new hellraiser and they're just like there's all this woke stuff being shoved <laughs> down their throats and it's just like buddy do you know hellraiser have you watched the yeah. same films do you know clive barker <laughs> yeah you know who he is did you read the book it's 
she's perfect casting if you read that book <laughs> exactly and uh i think actually um like spinning off um from that because i think that's actually a perfect representation of one of the questions i've written down but i think it answers it but also i want to know what your um, opinion is but to me it seems like there is this certain almost like subset of horror fan who kind of bemoans the state of modern horror films they kind of like go oh horror isn't what it used to be you know it used to be perfect back in the day everything that's now is being made now is like terrible is not great is not real horror like what do you think do do you like for me I think that attitude stems from I'm a straight white man and I'm no longer the focus of every horror film and that's annoying me like but I want to know what you think about that like do you think there's more nuances to it like do you think certain elements of modern horror is actually a step back from what we used to get I want to know because I think it could be both (laughs) no, I think um, I some of it, a little bit of it comes from, like, if it's a genuine sort of, like, criticism, it's not just, like, you know, the people going, like, the new Candyman is about racism? That's not what the original was. It's like, yes, it was. <laughs> Did you watch the original Candyman? <laughs> yeah. But something still, because I find that cinema is a language, or films mm-hmm. have a language, and that language changes throughout the years. Um, because techniques change, mm-hmm. acting styles change. So, um, for me personally, like a lot of the older movies don't gel with me. So, like The Exorcist, like I, I don't like it very much. You know, yeah. I, I respect these movies. Let's not be like ah, these movies. As are in, trash. like you know, where they have their place in horror history. Yeah. That without yeah. it, we wouldn't be where we are today, etc. But at the same time, it's not a favorite it's, film. <laughs> yeah, like you know, it's like oh, this aesthetic doesn't work for me. Like I love a more fluid camera and things. Mm-hmm. I put, like I like a glossy look. I, uh, the difference is very clear in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the first remake. Mm. The old one is really gritty and it's like low key, and there they had to be really careful, like clever, for they put the camera and stuff. But it's not the visual language that I like. That's yes, different language, and I don't understand it for lack of a better term like like Shakespearean English mm-hmm. you know, do Shakespearean plays and people are like I do not know what's going on you know, I don't know what's going on but I'm like oh this is a bit flat for me while the uh, Platinum Dunes remake is like oh this is more my style like it's really stylized lighting and it's dark mm-hmm. and they're really going for it you know, we can get away with a lot more things now as well like it's not so conservative in the censorship board that's for sure (laughs) yeah you know like toby hooper was calling up the board being like what can i get away with in a pg and he still got banned (laughs) oh i know like i i'm pretty sure like like the exorcist like texas chainsaw massacre and the exorcist were like two films that literally just weren't didn't exist in ireland until like the last number of years because of heavy catholic Mm. censorship (laughs) on top of like the actual censoring of the film by like film boards and stuff like that but But yeah, I think like just specifically like Toby Hooper's original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I do think like how it's so fascinating with that film, how it has this like reputation as being one of the like goriest films in history when it's not. They don't show anything. I think that's so amazing to see. It's almost like a Chinese whispers thing, like a film takes on a life of its own in the public zeitgeist. Like it became so terrifying, even though there's not actually much that happens. Actually, that does remind me of 
of when I first decided to try and track down Texas Chainsaw mm. was um, there was a magazine that did like top 100 glorious movies mm-hmm. and it got number one. <laughs> and that was part of my disappointment <laughs> with the film, to be fair. Just being like, this is the glorious thing ever made. Like the magazine can't be wrong. It's like, where is the blood? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not seeing the gore that I've been promised. <laughs> this isn't Jason X. <laughs> yeah. Like what is happening here? And then you like find out. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think part of the, uh, the moaning, I, I think it comes from older people or like this aesthetic doesn't work for me. Mm. But I do think there's a lot of, I think a lot of people who complain about the work stuff are really clickbait merchants. I've only ever seen people who seem to have, YouTube shows mm. talking about it, and anyone I meet in real life either just doesn't like the film. Yeah, it seems to be very about. much like an online troll trying to yeah. get discourse started and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever like encountered an in-person <laughs> discussion where someone goes, "Oh, that film just woke shit being shoved yeah. down my throat." Like, and it's just, are you a human? <laughs> like, just... yeah. Would you mind explaining what you mean by woke, sir? <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, like uh, one of those terms that just now no longer means what it means it's just yeah yeah like again things taking on a life of their own once it's mm. left a certain area which actually <laughs> brings me to uh, one of the questions i have which is something that i do find interesting and i think as a filmmaker it must be something that you're quite interested in as well but i want to know like do you think that the concept of like the death of the author applies to filmmakers. Like, do you think that, you know, once a filmmaker makes a film, it's out in the world and that's where their involvement stops, like, and then it's whatever someone takes from it. Or do you think filmmakers have an ongoing kind of like almost responsibility with what they're putting out in the world, like with what reactions people have? Uh, tricky one. I'm in, both sides like, I don't necessarily feel this filmmaker has a responsibility mm-hmm. unless they're tackling something very um very nuanced and tricky. yeah and like people are completely getting it wrong <laughs> <or> <laughs> and they have to really like explain themselves on why they did their thing but um I do also feel that films and any sort of art uh, does take a life of its own for a long um uh, for the audiences and mm-hmm. like audiences bring different things to it. Like I know um uh, a slight side example but the Matrix and it being a trans allegory. Mm-hmm. Where like when I was younger and watched that, didn't get that. I yeah. got like a generalization of like everybody represents a minority in the group. Like yeah. to me it's like Switch is the trans allegory. Like that's very clear and or mm-hmm. non-binary, non-binary as I was learning that as well at the time. I said, but I don't see the overall aesthetic. Like, I just see sort of anti-slavery and anti-this and anti-that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, well, I mean, like, was it like 20 years later, you know, I finally, like, get the concept of cracking the egg and, like, these mm-hmm. other things. And, like, oh, yeah, I, I owe an apology. <laughs> like, I was way off on that. Like, you watching that, it's like, yeah, I totally get it <laughs> now. And if I didn't get it, Resurrections were really, like, shoved that down. Yep. <laughs> I said, shut that down myself. Like, that makes no. it very clear. It's not bad in what it does in that respect. I really like the subtext in Resurrections. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm a fan of the movie. Mm, like, I know what you mean. Like, you kind of like 
as a movie, it's like, ah, but yeah, it like, doesn't quite work as a Matrix sequel. In fact, I would have loved it more if it got more art house and it had been a twist that it was a Matrix sequel. Mm, like just like the last minute reveal. Oh, like, this is the Matrix. <laughs> you get part of thing like, is that is this the Matrix? <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Which would have been very matrixy, you know. Right? Like it would have actually been. Yeah, I wonder. Like, um, mm. just with that film, like, you know, how much of it was like the Wachowskis wanting to be very deliberate and definitive that you know, mm. oh, you you still don't believe us about the original films being a trans allegory, even though we're mm. trans and we've told you, but yeah. you still don't believe us. Okay, this new film is going to be very much just like you know, lying <laughs> under the sand. This is what it is. If you don't, yeah. you know, if you don't agree, well then, yeah. And you can definitely watch my old argument like crumble as the years go on. In fact, <laughs> even when the Matrix sequels were coming out, I swear there was rumors about Lana transitioning back then. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Lana was like the first one, and that was like yeah. a good number, like pretty exactly. close to I think when the films were still being made, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Like I have to look back into it, but yes. Um, yeah, I always find that so interesting. Like, you know, filmmakers, like, I think it also must be really tough as not just as a filmmaker, yeah. but anyone who makes art, like the fact mm. that, you know, if you have like a singular vision or if you have an idea of what you're putting onto mm. the page or onto the screen, and if someone doesn't pick that up and has their own interpretation, like I always must think it must be yeah. so difficult to like be like, this is what you know I did or this is what I intended, mm-hmm. and you're not picking up on it. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, probably going to have something like that with my second film. Mm. It was interesting though. Just going back to Simon for a minute was I tried to make it like that Evil Dead style. Like there's no message here. It's just entertainment, mm-hmm. and it seeps through anyway. Like I uh, the when we were doing a script read through with um, the actresses in it, and I was just asking them, like, why did you join up for this? Like, there's no money here. Like, mm. And you're going to take a week off work to join me? Like, why? <laughs> and they're like, oh, I really like the script. Like, we found it was quite feminist. It's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then, like, editing the movie, I realized, like, oh, this film is about misogyny. Mm. Like if you look at all the men in the film, they all kind of represent different versions of it. Like the old cop is the old fashioned, mm. like women don't belong here. Like he looks down on Sarah because she's a girl or she's female. <laughs> yeah. And Simon like specifically kills women. You know, they're mm. more like objects play things to him. And the only person who's not is like um, Nathaniel's character, the, other detective, the younger one. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't even consciously do it, but it's like, oh, it's up to like the new generation to like be more like equal and like stop this. And like without them, it doesn't happen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, yeah, there is like uh, just on like uh, just thinking you know, thinking about it more. There is like I love how even if you're not aware of it, there's something being imprinted into a story and stuff mm. like that. And I think that makes that question like you know death of the author um so much more complex because like how many you know how much is a filmmaker unaware of themselves that they're imprinting into a story and stuff like that like so yeah it's really interesting um but i want to know like i think uh um complete different tangent and i think i know some of the answers but we're coming up to the hour mark now so this is like something that i always like 
love to know what um you know different horror fans answers are and i think i'll ask the two of them slightly linked um because i think they'll probably mm-hmm. overlap but you know firstly like what are your comfort films from the horror genre like the ones that if you've had a bad day these are the films you'll throw on because you know you'll just have a good time and you'll kind of be wrapped in that knowing embrace of like i know what i'm gonna get and i love it and then slightly related um do you have like favorite horror subgenres and is there specific reasons why they would be favorite subgenres of yours yeah so my comfort films i think i have three that i go through depending on the day or depending on what mood I'm in. One of them is The Lord of Illusions and the director's mm-hmm. cut specifically. Like, Interesting. Yeah, I, that's always seen as like Clive Barker's weakest film and it's my favourite. Mm-hmm. I think it's got a brilliant mix of the imagination in like uh, from Nightbreed and the storytelling from mm. Hellraiser and sort of mashed together. It's a little hampered by the, the constraints of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a 90s movie and it's low budget so there's a lot of times where he can't move the camera when a special effect is happening <laughs> but like that movie just gels with me and I love Harry the Moor and I really think it's interesting it's basically about a love triangle between the mm-hmm. bad guy like his henchman and uh, Swan um, nice cool um, yeah that's that's one specifically the director's cut The Devil's Rejects <laughs> Oh, interesting! Very interesting <laughs> one. Like um, that that like it's funny because like I, whenever I like pose this question, oh, what are your comfort horror films? I always think like, oh, I imagine like you know someone who doesn't you know enjoy horror would be like, you have comfort horror films. I think yeah. if they like knew what the Devil's Rejects were, and you said, oh, the Devil's Rejects is one that I find comfort in, yeah. they'd be like horror fans ah! yeah, the, the blood is just drained from their face <laughs> like, but I definitely think that's uh, one of zombies better films like I think mm. Devil's Rejects is just I don't know I think it's where you really it's... get his idea of directing really nailed down I think it's a really solid one of his films yeah I don't th- I don't think he's ever quite captured it again mm-hmm. like, um, it's definitely my favourite of his um out of the lot he's done like his first Halloween I flip flop on every time I watch it I love it then I hate it I love it then I hate it and the second one I dislike but I love the imagery Mm. and how it's really a remake of Halloween 4 (laughs) which was my favorite as a kid out of the Halloweens right okay but um (laughs) that's your question and the last one is Malignant She's been yes. Added to the list. yes, I that is that also has very quickly been cemented as one of my comfort rewatches because yeah. uh, Gabriel, just give me more Gabriel. I just like uh, give me a malignant every year just with Gabriel, like I'd be happy. <laughs> has been my um, uh, me and some friends do because we don't see each other very often, we get mm. together and we do like weird, kind of like odd slash bad movie nights where you find something that like, sounds like so and- much fun. <laughs> And yeah, we watch it's like a lot of like nineties Asian, uh, Asian trying to be Western movies, like action <laughs> movies that come out where the action's great and but the film is just horribly off. <laughs> but I took Malignant and it like won the night. <laughs> Brilliant! And everybody was sort of like, "Okay, this is interesting." Like, I think I know where this is going. And then you get the first thing where like the mother frees herself from her space and then like that twist happens and then suddenly everybody was like I have no idea where this film goes 
<laughs> and then it just gets off when it gets to the prison scene they're like this is the greatest <laughs> thing that's ever been brought to the f- table i just love how like you can clearly tell james wan was like all right i'm just gonna make another conjuring movie so i can make malignant so i can or i'll make another aquaman so i can yeah. make this like and i'm just yes please just do more of this james <laughs> yeah it's always lo- nice to see him come back because i love james wan oh one of the, um, one of the best like yeah, as soon as that first Saw came out, it's a bit of a tangent. But like, Saw was the first film twist I didn't see coming. Mm, yeah, I right. think that's probably the case for a lot of people. I mm. it's still cemented in like that's why the at least the first Saw. But I particularly I enjoy the entire franchise, but particularly the first Saw is just like it is like a classic of modern horror because it's yeah. so like just such a small self-contained story with one of the best twists of all time yeah and i i won't go into too much to you, but i love the first six i haven't really rewatched the final chapter or yeah that's since yeah but, the, you're not missing much with the final chapter yeah. <laughs> i've seen them i saw them in cinema because that was our thing we go every year to see it in the cinema but mm-hmm. the thing that i love about that franchise is the story is so well connected yes like, uh, I've been telling people for years, like, there's a great story that goes through that. Like, we all write it off as this torture porn. But no, and, there's... Like, it's the, really good. Like, like the story itself is really compelling and interesting, but also there's, like, so many themes being explored. Mm. And yes, it, it is a genre that gets written off too much, I think, which is a shame. But it is, like, in the last few years, it does seem to be being re-examined and re-appreciated, which I'm really enjoying seeing that. Um mm. But yes, uh, so they're your three comfort films. I love, like, that's a really interesting palette. I like that. And yeah. um, all very different as well, which isn't, which kind of maybe is somewhat overlaps. But like, do you have specific favorite subgenres of horror? Like, you know, that what you'd, you'd kind of go to more than others? Yeah, like, um, definitely think um, sci fi horror is a big one for me, even though like none of those three were. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and um supernatural tends to be another big pool but yeah sci-fi so like those resident evil movies are some like other films that i love because of how it brings in science with the zombies mm-hmm. like, they're trashy and silly oh they're um, complete the f- bonkers and yeah. ridiculous but i adore them i i just love mila jovovich like i just yeah yes I, oh that franchise like i think also as well because like that was one of my first kind of horror franchises as like a teenager yes, and stuff like that so yes. it just yes but yes i have a soft spot for those mm. <laughs> ridiculous films yeah and like an event horizon also paul <sighs> anderson what a film yes but and then i think he did uh alien versus predator as well yeah. which i also what? enjoy it's not great I like but it. i enjoy it's it not the best, but i like it and it was literally um as if he took one of the comics that i read or took the like mm. overall style of like the comics that i've been reading at the time and it was like put them on film and even the commentary he says that as well oh that's like, really cool the creators of the comics writer credits because he just stole their like outline basically Best <laughs> he could get them as executive producer apparently oh <laughs> i'm just like i do I like that or dislike that? I don't know. It's like, so, Fox, I, I stole this from the comics because, like, people like the comics and I like the comics. <laughs> like, well, that's too bad. Okay, but I think legally you really need to give them some money. <laughs> uh, well, at least something happened. <laughs> yeah, something happened. 
Um, yeah, like sci-fi horror is a big one, and like and anything sort of like ghost curse kind mm, of stuff. Yeah, definitely, uh, I'd I'd agree there. Like ghosts is, I think, yeah, that overlaps with supernatural. Yeah, definitely yeah. one of my go-to's as well because I think that's one of the subgenres that's so great at like really zeroing in on like the human condition and humanity mm. and stuff like that and like the way some films like tackle it like I adore going back to like the director of X but Ty West his uh the innkeepers <sighs> what a ghost film I adore that one so much um but yeah supernatural ghost is another favorite of mine as well mm. But yeah, um, but yeah, like there's, I think there's so many subgenres, it's impossible to say yeah. just these two, or like, you know, because you always find there's one film from a subgenre that you love, but the rest of that genre, you're just like, no. Nah. I was like, you no, know, Slashes is a big one that I quite lo- I love. I'll take a chance on Slashes. Anything that seems like it's just not going to be average. Uh, so it's hard to, hard to describe that as like, the anti-genre like that's the only thing i don't want it's something that just feels bog standard but i get i know what you I mean something up you know you look who's involved or look usually at the rating if it's just like strong threat it's like, mm, probably not much going on in that one i know what you mean and uh like i think just when you're saying that like something that's not bog standard or average like um mm. like one of the reasons i have like such like a love and adoration for like terrible schlocky kind of b-horror type films is because you can tell that it's just like you know there was so much passion involved with Mm. it and they just went out to do something whether it was like you know super successful or not maybe wasn't achieved but like you can tell that they just had this idea and they just ran with it they know what they're doing like I'd much prefer like you know objectively terrible film but i adore it but i would much prefer something like ghost shark <laughs> over like it's oh it's it, it's one of my favorite terrible films but um, is that the one where the shark is in the house no like house shark that must be something else but no ghost shark is literally where quick premise of the film is where the film starts off these rednecks are basically drunk on a boat and they end up harpooning a shark which swims off and dies in basically a Native American burial cave. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's basically, it's ghost comes back and starts haunting the town and it's like one of my favourite like slashers because it has some of the best deaths like of just ridiculous ways of like where do you think and like astral ghost could appear what type of body of water let's play with it it's ridiculous it's terrible but i love it um, amazing we watched one called house shark where <laughs> a shark is in a house it might be a ghost it was made for like a hundred bucks clearly <laughs> and it has the audacity to be two hours long oh wow like at least <laughs> that's that's brave like ghost shark is much like shorter like it's very much like we know what we are we're just gonna do it and then we're gonna leave and Um, like the premise is over in the first 30 minutes why have we got another (laughs) 90 minutes i don't that's it that's brave yeah and i'd rather take that because it's just crazy like you know they just swung for the fences and went let's go nuts they have an underwater scene that is not underwater (laughs) they have things floating and it's people holding it on wires Oh my god, I'm gonna have to try and look this up now. I love terrible shark. 
it's one of my favorite subgenres. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like I was saying, I I'd rather something like that over mm-hmm. say a paint by the numbers Conjuring three, as in like. Yeah. I enjoyed the first Conjuring. I thought James Wan did a really mm-hmm. good job with it. Conjuring 2, I thought it was interesting. It tried to do something slightly different, but I didn't mm. really rate it as much. Conjuring 3, I turned off within like the first 25 minutes. It was just, I'm getting the same thing again, and it's not, not doing anything different. It's very bog standard average. So I'd yeah. rather have a schlocky B-horror than paint by the numbers. Yeah, exactly. In fact, <laughs> my missus <laughs> went to see Conjuring 3. Oh, that was probably one of the first like uh, film releases back after lockdowns and stuff yeah, like that. I imagine. Worse, must have been, or just. For... But um, when she came back, and she's usually really like satisfied. Like movie starts and ends, like she generally has a good time. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "How was it?" And she's like, "No." <laughs> oh, so just no. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> And yep, I think that's a pretty damning and damning review yeah. for the Conjuring Three. Just, just no. It's just like it's boring. It's like, oh, that's the worst the movie can be. It's boring, especially a horror movie. Like yeah. you know, like, and I think kind of going back to like the question that I opened up. You know, one of the first questions at the start of our chat, and um, before we start closing down, and um, but you know, I was kind of like what makes a horror movie like i think really at the end of the day if a horror film elicits a response from you elicits a feeling from you then it's at least succeeded in some way whatever that feeling Mm -hmm. is whether that feeling is fear sadness joy whatever it is like if you're having fun like malignant or something like that it's Mm -hmm. it's did what it wanted to you know whereas Mm -hmm. like if you're just nothing (laughs) then to me that's a a failure of a film Mm -hmm. yeah completely like even if it's People are laughing at your movie. Like, in fact, I had someone comment on Simon saying, "Like, this movie is trash." Like, I laughed all the way through. And I oh was no! Like, I was like, "I'm glad you had fun." Oh, yeah. but like, still... <laughs> like, you know, like, I know it was a troll comment, and I'm not going to get up in arms about it. Yeah. That's just stupid. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all make believe sort of stuff. But I was like, at least you had fun. You know, if you're saying you're laughing all the way through, then you didn't come back and go it was boring then like like that would hurt <laughs> yeah that that would be the knife in the heart like you know someone kind of oh, going yeah. like uh, oh you know i could you know every scene made me laugh because of whatever you know you, know, you could yeah. tell it was a smaller budget or something like yeah. that you know that's still like you know hey like you know at least you watched us and you appreciated yeah. it whereas if it's just i watched this film it was a film nothing else <laughs> then it's kind of that's always i think the worst damning condemnation if someone just goes that was a movie <laughs> like, yeah. that's always the worst i think yeah. <laughs> it definitely began it definitely had end credits and i'm pretty sure it was in focus <laughs> but, uh... oh but and um, before but no thank Ooh. you so much for coming on like we've had such an interesting conversation i've loved just yeah. the t- flow and tangle of it and I enjoy your comfort list. That was something I very much had fun with. Um, but before I let you go, where can, you know, is there any upcoming like stuff, like work that you wouldn't plug? Where can people find you and support your work? Well, I'm in an awkward phase of being stuck between projects. Mm-hmm. Second film was looking like it's going to go to some festivals. And then oh. we, uh, we decided to shoot some more scenes. So we're now doing that. <laughs> Oh, okay, so the middle film, phase. <laughs> yeah, my new film is um, 
It's very like Mulholland Drive is how he described it. Very much in that sort of style or Takeshi's. If you, you know, Interesting. Like, he uses dream logic and plays with sort of like that kind of, it's not a very straightforward reality. Interesting. And, uh, I like it. I like it. I'll keep and, an eye out. Yeah. As soon as I get stuff up, like I'm always in that awkward. It's like, I have no date. Mm-hmm. I could take another year to come out, you know. So I haven't got much going on for it, but you can see little snippets on my Twitter. So Twitter's my big thing, like Warren underscore Bedensky. Mm-hmm. Of course, my first film, Simon, is out. It's on just about every VOD platform. Uh, if you have Netflix, I think that's the freest one to watch it on. I think yes, that's where Europe- I watched it last night, Netflix. <laughs> I think it's in a European Netflix. I think Prime and everything's worldwide. Right. Okay. Interesting. But no, yeah. cool. Um, and yes, uh, to my listeners, I would implore you to click, you know, to seek it out because, you know, it's, you know, it's always great to see, you know, the starting of like a potential, like, you know, filmmaker's mm-hmm. career. I think it's always interesting. And like, I had fun with that. I thought there was like oh, a lot, there was lots I took away from it. And I thought it was I really see. like, you know, even though you could tell you were obviously constrained by budget and stuff like that, there mm-hmm. was stuff that I thought was really pulled off well. And I enjoyed the certain twists. So yes, no, um, listeners, you. seek it out. And yes, I will put your social links and stuff like that in the show notes and all that fun jazz. Um, to my listeners, um, keep ears and eyes peeled for the next episode when it's being released. And Thanks again to yourself there, Warren. I had an absolutely fantastic conversation with you. Uh, thank and... you for having me. Like, oh, anytime. <laughs> absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure.